0: the second one. Turn to Romans chapter 14. We're going to read from verses 10 to the end of the chapter, and then we're going to come back and look at those verses that we um maybe it looked like we skipped over some verses last time but we were laying the foundation for this message last time and then we're coming back to look at the previous and the and the, the verses that follow from 17 to 19 so the 19, 17 to 19 was the core the foundation i'm going to i'm going to read though from verse 10 to the to the end this is god's word why do you pass judgment on your brother Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Summarizing what's come before in chapter 14 and applying it. But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Thus for God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word, so we pray that your spirit would attend the preaching of your word, would bless the preaching of your word and the hearing of your word. That your word would run and be glorified by being delighted in, believed, pursued to understand and applied. So Lord, help me to preach your word in the power of the spirit and help us to hear it in the power of the spirit. May it be a life altering event this day as it is every time we are in your word, whether we sense it or feel it or not so bless me to preach and us to hear you work in our hearts as your word goes forth we give you the praise and ask it in Jesus name amen I want to start this morning with the story of Ivan and Abel no I'm not confused this is a different story in 2002, Ivan Fernandez Anaya was in, a, it was in second place in a cross-country race. As he neared the finish line, he noticed Abel Mutai, the leader, slowing down. Abel didn't speak Spanish, so he was confused by the signs around him, and he thought that he had already won. When Ivan saw what was happening, instead of passing Abel, he slowed down his own pace and pointed Abel towards the real finish line so that he could complete his victory that he had earned. When asked why he did it, he said, he was the rightful winner. He he said, he created a gap that I could have never closed if he had not made that mistake. He also said, What would be the real merit of my victory? What would be the honor of that medal? And what would my mom think about that? He said this later. My dream is that someday we can have that kind of community life. In our text today, Paul is calling the church in Rome and and through this word, which is God's word, to us. And he's speaking especially to the strong in the faith to live out that kind of community on a higher plane. To live out what Paul's already called, and what he's calling us to, genuine love. The love that sees others as more important than yourself. The kind of love that sacrifices self. For the good of others. The same kind of love that Jesus displayed and calls us to live. Self-sacrificial love. What did he say? If anyone comes after me, let him indulge himself and let him deny himself and follow me. Take up his cross daily. That kind of love. Self-sacrificial love. Only this kind of love will promote and preserve the unity of the church. Unity in community comes from and, in the, and is maintained by self-sacrifice, especially by the strong. So we to look at. We're going to look at um, these texts today under three headings. I'll, I'll give those to you in a minute. Uh, But let me review right quick where we've come from. We've seen the glorious gospel of God set forth in the first 11 chapters of Romans. What Paul calls the mercies of God, that though we were all lost and needed a Savior and could not save ourselves, Christ came to be the propitiation for our sin, that we might trust in Him by faith and be justified. And then we began in chapter 6 talking about sanctification. And then sovereignty and election and application of God's salvation. And then when we got to chapter 12, we turn a corner. And Paul said this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers or brethren, by the mercies of God. So the mercies of God that he had just told the Roman church and us through this letter about in chapters 1 through 11. He says, that here's how you apply that that gospel message. That gospel message is to produce such a love in you that you are then willing to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual worship. Because God has loved you, empowered you, changed you, now you get to live a life of loving him and then loving others truly. So we've seen that we turned that corner in chapter 12. And since that since that verse, we've been kind of looking into what does this look like to be a living sacrifice, one that's not conformed to the world, but being renewed in their mind by the word of God, humble, submissive, loving, genuinely blessing those who persecute. I mean, so many things we've talked about. I'll let you go back and listen to those sermons. But love is a major note. As we read through those sermons. And today we're looking at uh, walking in love. And the major note is on the strong in, the, in this section of text. We've been talking about the weak and the strong and the weak's responsibility not to despise the strong. and the, I mean, yeah, and the strong, the weak's responsibility not to judge the strong and the strong's responsibility not to despise the strong. Not to be writing each other off because of these second tier disagreements. These disputable matters. And today we're going to look at verses 13 to 15 and 20 to 23 in chapter 14. That sounds like a lot, but I told you last time, remember, we saw the, the structure of the passage that, that the, uh, verses 17 through 19 we the foundation of this section. And then what's in verses 20 to 23 kind of is the same thing in different words as what is said in verses 13 to 15. So it's just layering in this text. So it's really not as much as it, as it sounds like, but I want us to be able to keep the flow in mind and see, see what Paul is doing here. But but I entitled this walking in love. And here's the main point. The strong must walk in love by being careful not to cause your brother and sister to stumble with your freedom. The strong must walk in love by being careful not to cause your brother and sister to stumble with your freedom. So look at the faith of the strong first. This is how we're going to break it down. The faith of the strong. Look back in, in verse 13. The first part of verse 13, like I said when I was reading it, therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. That, that sums up verses 1 to 12 in chapter 14. So that is to the weak and to the strong. And the weak is not to judge the strong. The strong is not to judge the weak. We are to be loving one another, thinking the best of one another, walking together, not thinking we have to agree about every single thing. In order to walk in unity. But we, we are to agree about the gospel things. The, the first tier things. We'll talk more about that later. So stop judging one another. And then when he turns with that but right there. In chapter in verse 13. He turns to talk then primarily to the strong believer for the rest of this chapter. That's why I said the major note is on the strong. The seasoned, when I when I say the seasoned, the mature, the word filled, and and word understood, and growing in believer, this is a person who understands it well, who understands where the liberties are and where they're not, and is able to walk in that. But you have to be responsible with that. Look back in the second part of verse thirteen, and we'll we'll begin there looking at this. There's a decision here for for the strong. He says, but rather decide. Notice that. that decide. Make a decision. Decide this now. Let's 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 settle this in our minds and decide to operate this way. Decide never never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother, And if you remember last time we talked about it, and I, point, I would point you back to go back and listen to the, to the foundational sermon from last week on, on this text. But we talked about the Christian life being a race, that we are all running with one another toward the goal, which is Christ's likeness. So it is a, a race that we're talking about here. And when you see that, we're to decide never to put a stumbling block in the way of a brother or a sister literally a stumbling block is a lump of wood or stone uh, that could cause you to trip but most of the time when when we see this stumbling block mentioned in scripture it's being used figuratively right because none of us are walking around like a hope throwing pieces of wood in front of one another you know But usually this is used to describe an obstacle or a hindrance. Uh, An example would be, you you might hear somebody say something like this. Lack of funds is a major stumbling block to the project. So lack of funds would hinder the project from going forth, would kind of stop the momentum of the project. And Paul, he does use that second word there to help us understand what he's talking about. Never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. See, in other words, we are who are strong... It's a good thing to be strong. It's a good thing to be well-seasoned in God's Word. It's a good thing to understand where the lines are and where the freedoms are and all of those kind of things. But it brings with it some responsibility, doesn't it? Because not everybody's where you are. And you can unintentionally trip someone up, even though you might, in the end of the thing that you're doing, there may be nothing wrong with it. It may not be being exercised wisely, so it could cause your brother or sister, to stumble, to be hindered. And this word for hindrance here is talking about something that causes offense, what might cause someone to be offended. So as we think about the metaphor of the race, we're all running for the prize of Christ's likeness. And I want to make a clarification right here as we're working through this text. We are are talking about the race, the run. We are talking about sanctification. We're talking about our growth in grace, okay, in this passage that, that might be hindered or, in strong language, destroyed, right, in the life of someone else if we don't use our freedoms well. It, if you have been justified by God, I cannot cause you to be unjustified. So I cannot make you lose your salvation. Let's be clear. We've already, we're already come through chapter 8, haven't we? Where he has told us that everyone who is justified will be glorified. So in this context, we're talking about sanctification. And as we're running this race, our growth in grace, if you don't know what that means, growth in grace. The believer's growth in grace. More and more putting off sin and living for righteousness out of love for Jesus. Running the race toward him. Pressing into being like him. And we're all to be doing that together. And so as we're running this race together, we want to be careful that we do not hinder our brother or sister as they're running. That we don't cause them to trip or stumble or stall. Or So what could be what could be the danger? What could be the stumbling block? Well, the answer to that is our faith could be a stumbling block. My faith could cause my brother or sister to stumble depending on how I walk it out in their presence. Now I'm not talking about my trusting in Jesus for my justification, but my knowledge of what is Free and, and good for me, what is right and what is wrong in Christ might be different than someone else's. So it calls for care that I would be careful to decide to never cause them to stumble. Look at Paul. Paul himself is one of the strong. Look at verse 14. We kind of see what the problem could be. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. I know that. I know that nothing is unclean, and he he, he 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 understands that that those that those Old Testament uh, clean and unclean laws had a purpose, and they've come to fruition in Christ. And, and in and of itself, no no food is unclean for Paul and for the Christian. So look look back at verse fourteen. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So that's Paul's knowledge. That's his faith when we're talking about faith. That's what he knows to be true. But watch what he says. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. So anyone whose conscience has not been instructed sufficiently by the word of God so that they can see and come to that same conviction, if they are thinking it's unclean and they violate their conscience... We're leading them in the wrong direction. Verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Look down in verse 20. You kind of see these same things. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Hinder. When we say destroy there, we're talking about that same thing. Stumbling block. Hindrance. in the race. Right? Everything. Now, here he says it again. um, Everything is indeed clean. See how that matches up. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. 20 verse 22. The faith that you have, what faith? The faith here in this context that everything is clean. Keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. In other words, if I if I uncaringly exercise a freedom about a disputed matter in the presence of one who doesn't hold those same convictions, I could trip them up. It's like me pitching that piece of wood in front of them as we're running the race and cause them to face plant for a while. Paul is saying, listen, he's, and we already looked at the verse, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. And, and we know that some in Rome, we, we know we had Jew and Gentile in Rome. So we had these clean and unclean things we're struggling with. But you also just had believers who, who, who were scared to eat meat because it might have come from the idol's temple, uh, who wouldn't drink wine and had a conviction about that. And those are the two that are mentioned in the text. But Paul is saying, listen, as far as my understanding, I know that all foods are clean. But maybe, maybe you've got a Jew with you who, who wouldn't eat pork and thought it was unclean and therefore wrong to eat it. You know, and you're having them over to your house for dinner. Don't serve bacon. As good as bacon is. In other words, you just, you, these are secondary issues. But they're not important. As as the first year stuff, we can give them up and and honor God and, and serve our brothers and sisters. Faith, we're talking about faith regarding disputed matters. Let's go back and think about that a minute because some of you weren't here for the other sermons. Things where these disputed matters are things where the mature might differ in opinion with the weak and the immature. And the context here, as I said, is meat and wine, and that can flow out to other things, Jew and Gentile, all of that. But it's a difference over disputed matters. So there are disputed matters, and there are indisputable matters. There's first-tier things that we can never compromise on, and second-tier things that we can lay aside or not practice in the presence of, of other people. So let's put a little bit of a little bit of definition on it. Indisputable matters are those things that are clearly revealed in Scripture that are moral obligations for every believer. So that's indisputable. Those things that are clearly revealed in Scripture that are moral obligations for every believer, like God's commandments, for example. Disputable matters, then, are beliefs and behaviors that are left to the individual conscience. These are things that Christians can disagree over and still enter the kingdom of heaven. In our text, as I said, meat and wine would be two that are, that are these disputable matters. I mean, not so much meat, especially in the South. We don't struggle, struggle over whether or not we can eat meat, do we? There's a lot of talk and debate and, and opinion and judging one another over wine and, and things like that, that that we need to be careful of. So disputable matters are things that are left to the individual conscience Christians can disagree over and still enter the kingdom of heaven. Here, Some others, your your eschatological opinions or stance or your view of the last days. I've been in places, I've been in churches before where if you were not dispensational pre-meal in your understanding of eschatology, you were out of the kingdom. That's taking a disputable matter and elevating it to an indisputable matter, and that is wrong. But I didn't, when I was in with those people, I didn't go around picking at them, you know, about it. Just understand who they are. How about what Bible translations you use? Some people will cut your head off for not using the King James Version. And I say that figuratively. They won't literally cut your head off in case you don't know about Christians. We are weird, but not that weird usually. <laughs> No, Paul didn't use the King James Version, okay? I mean, things like smoking cigars or watching movies that portray Christ or, or, or dancing. Well, wait. Some of us shouldn't dance whether it's right or wrong. But you see what I'm, see what I'm getting at? Things that can be disagreed over, things that are not first here, things that are not the most important. Paul clearly says that all foods are clean, yet he also clearly says it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Where did he get that all foods are clean? Jesus said it that 's pretty good authority that 's pretty good authority if you i 'm not going to go there this morning, but mark seven nineteen you can for the elect in here who are taking notes. Um, you don't come here. You won't get that joke. I tell them all the time that the elect take notes. Um, Mark seven nineteen, 19. It's where Jesus taught that eating meat is not sinful. All foods are clean. So what is the problem? The danger of the strong. We look at the faith of the strong. Now, like Paul, Paul believes that everything is unclean. What is the danger? In verses 15 and 16 again. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Keep it in context. Do not hinder. Do not trip up the one for whom Christ. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. If you flaunt your freedom in front of people who are not there yet, they are going to speak of it as evil and think bad of you when that really is not necessary. Look at 20 and 21. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God, hinder the work of God, cause your brother to trip. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble or be hindered. See, not everyone in Rome and not everyone in the church has matured enough to understand that all things are clean. That wine is a good gift. Or You could go on down the list. And if your example causes them to eat when they're not convinced it's right, they violate their conscience and therefore they sin. Verse 23. For whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. It is wrong for you to do something that you think might be wrong. You're not sure about that, that these convictions on second-tier matters. That's why Paul says be convinced in your, in your own mind. Because when we violate conscience, we are, we are doing something that we think might be wrong. But maybe we're doing it under peer pressure or whatever. That is definitely wrong to violate your conscience. Your conscience is not well instructed enough to participate in that thing in faith and know that it's okay. Like Paul says, uh, eating of meat here is okay. Then you shouldn't. You shouldn't do it. So if your example causes your brother or sister to do a disputed thing that they think might not be wrong or think maybe it is wrong, then they'll violate their conscience and that hinders their growth in grace, trips them up. The faith of the strong can hinder the faith of the weak. It can offend them, cause them to stumble, and have their growth in grace hindered. So remember verses 17 to 19 that we looked at last, last week. The Christian life, the kingdom, is not primarily about you exercising your freedom in all settings. Sometimes freedoms must be sacrificed for the greater good. Here, here, listen to me. True freedom is not freedom to self-indulge, but freedom to sacrificially love. True freedom is not freedom to self-indulge, but freedom to sacrificially love. Listen to me. I have known people who would not give one square inch of their freedom to serve their brothers and sisters. They stood with their cleats dug in down into their freedom, and they were seemingly unconcerned about who it might cause to stumble. Look, look right here. I see it in the word. It is okay for me to do. So I am going to do it. I am not going to be ruled by the conscience of the of the weak. So, you know, if you've got a problem with it, you're just going to have to deal with it, because here I go with my freedom. That. Is sin. That is not sacrificial love. That is you first mentality. Maybe you're convinced that wine is is okay to drink. Do that in your own house. Be sure that those who are around you won't be stumbled or hindered or offended by that. Before you do something like that in their presence. Because the kingdom of God is not about you. And you always just flaunting your freedom. And sometimes when we've been in a very legalistic environment. And we get free of that. And we see all of these things that used to be wrong. Are okay in Christ. Then we we just go wild. And we start blasting it all over Facebook. And we get real grumpy with people who... Don't hold those convictions and judge them. They judge us. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or smoke cigars or you fill in the blank or anything that causes your brother to stumble. So the kingdom is not about me primarily flaunting my freedom. It's about me sacrificially loving and serving those around me. If you are one who has your cleats dug in and your freedom is your freedom and you're not going to be concerned about who might be hurt by it, that's the opposite of walking in love. Because we've seen that in verse 15. Negatively speaking, when he says, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. something hitting my brain right now might be a wild goose chase so before i mention it i'll just make sure yeah we'll do that later so third what is the responsibility of the strong then What is the responsibility of the strong? Look back to verse 13. Decide never to use your freedom in such a way that offends your brother or sister or hinders their faith or growth in grace. Look back at verse 19. We saw this last time. It was the end of the text we looked at last. I know we're jumping around, but I'm trying to help this text make sense to you. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So that goes right along with verse 13. Decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of your brother. And in that way, pursue what makes for peace and mutual up building. And go back to listen to last week's sermon if you want to see the structure of this text and why those middle verses were the anchor. We are never to use our freedom in such a way that it that offends our brother. We're to pursue peace and edification. The Christian life is not freedom at all costs to the destruction of the unity of the church and to the disruption of the spiritual health of your brother. In answer to Cain's question, you are your brother's keeper in this sense. To whom much is given, maybe you're a strong one. To whom much is given, much is required. Use your strength for your brethren, not against them. Ivan could have used his strength in that race we opened with to run right past Abel and win that race. But he didn't, did he? He backed off. He used his strength to help him get to see and get to the finish line sacrifice freedoms for love and unity if you have to i'm going to read one one chapter of scripture to you and then we'll move along just because it goes with this but uh, first corinthians chapter eight it's short don't worry 13 verses now concerning food offered to idols we know that all of us possess knowledge For although there may be many so-called gods in heaven and earth, as indeed there are many gods, little gods, made-up gods, and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom, we are, uh, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. If anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, this brother for whom Christ died. Wounding this, this sinning Thus, sinning against your brothers, and here it is, wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes your brother to stumble, and you can just put a blank there. Therefore, if mm, makes your brother to stumble, I will never eat meat or do that, lest I make my brother to stumble. We need to be careful that we're not wounding others' conscience, those around us, in the way that we exercise our freedoms. We do have a responsibility for all, and especially the mature, are to walk in this kind of love, this kind of self-sacrificial love that has decided to never put a stumbling block or a hindrance before a brother or a sister. And if it happens accidentally, you make it right. But just that strong decision that I'm going to be responsible with my understanding of God's word on these, these disputable matters. I'm not going to press my freedom in front of everybody, knowing that some won't have the same convictions on these lesser matters. And it might uh, wound their conscience, offend them, and cause them to stumble. So to be like Christ is to sacrifice myself in certain contexts so I don't make a brother or sister to stumble. And listen, we've not all done this this way in the past. Maybe we've sinned with our freedoms in the past. We have a Savior. We have a throne of grace to run to and confess it and receive forgiveness and cleansing and maybe confess it to some person. I'm not sure that would be up to you and your situation but let's look at that. let's look at some application on these verses as as we close out. Number one, keep the main thing if we will do this, if we will do this, we will take care of a lot of these ancillary problems that could pop up. Keep the main thing, the main thing. What is the main thing? The main thing is loving one another the way we've been loved. We've been talking about that, self-sacrificial love. How were we loved? Listen, maybe you're not a believer, you've been bored, you haven't heard anything else I've said today. Listen up. This is how we've been loved. This is the gospel. This is the gospel by which you are saved if you hear it and understand it and trust in Christ and Christ alone. Why did Jesus Christ come? Why was God the second person of the Godhead? Why did he take to himself a true human nature, come to earth as the God-man and live under his own law and fulfill all righteousness? Well, because we had broken God's law. And thought, word, and deed, and therefore we cannot save ourselves. So, Jesus as that Lamb of God predicting in the Old Testament, all those sacrifices in the Old Testament of lambs being sacrificed, point, covered and pointed to the true Lamb of God who would come and really deal with sin, and that is Jesus. Do you want to be reconciled to God? Here's your Savior. He fulfilled all righteousness. He was the spotless Lamb of God. He deserved only blessing. Yet as the mediator of the new covenant, he took our sin upon himself. He took our guilt upon himself. And that's why he died on the cross. Pictured by those altars. He died to pour out his life to save his people. The soul that sins shall die. Death was the threat of the covenant of works. Death was what Adam entered into through disobedience. Spiritual death in the moment and eventually physical death. The soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. That's why there had to be a Lamb of God come and die. And when he died on that cross, it wasn't just the physical torment. As horrible as that would be, that was nothing to the cup of the wrath of God. The just, holy, pure wrath of God do our sin. He had to drink that cup dry if he would save us. So he had to be perfectly righteous and make a perfect atonement to save us. And he did that. He fulfilled all righteousness. He deserved only blessing. But according to God's plan, he was crucified. He was, he was uh, killed for his people. He was our sacrifice who paid the penalty for our sins that we might be reconciled to God. You heard me talking about our records being cleansed and being, uh, His righteousness being imputed to us earlier. That's how. He took my sin to the cross with Him and paid that debt. And if you're trusting in Him, He took your sin to the cross with Him and paid that debt. And He was qualified to do so because He was the spotless Lamb of God who had fulfilled all righteousness. Righteousness. And he went into that grave, but here's the good news, he rose again the third day. And did you know that over 500 people at one time saw him? Many, many who were still alive when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians describing that gospel. See, the resurrection has, it's provable on steroids, if you don't use the double standard. It's history. One fact you can take to the bank is for ever since he was raised from the grave, people have been trying to explain it away, and nobody's ever succeeded, and you won't either. Why? Because he did. We have eyewitness testimony. He ascended, he's reigning, he's coming again, and we will, back in, in a, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to him. We saw that back in chapter 17. See, the, the good news for you, listen, if, if, you're, if you're not trusting in Christ, is that there is a Savior. And listen to me, it is not you. God's not going to judge you by Hitler. He's going to judge you by Jesus and by His law. And you're going to fall short and you need a Savior so you can trust in Christ and have all of your sins washed away and be clothed in His righteousness and accepted as a child of God. John 3.16, God loved the world in this way. That's the best translation of that. That He gave His only begotten Son. What? Gave Him to do what? To live for us. To die for us. To be raised, reign, and come again. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him, trusts in Him, two things, shall not perish, but in contrast, have everlasting life. If you are trusting in Jesus this morning, in Jesus alone, not you, not you're doing your best and he'll make up the rest. Your best is sin. Mine too. Look away from self to Jesus. Look like that tax collector who was with the Pharisee who said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went home justified. Like the deacon who was preaching and looking at Spurgeon. The young man looked to Christ. You look to Christ and be saved. If you won't, hear me, through the live stream or in the room, if you won't look to Christ, you will not be saved. You will stand before a holy God and answer for yourself and you will fall short of the glory that He deserves and created you for and you will be justly and righteously condemned and you don't want that. Don't be so proud. May God in His grace cause this gospel to humble you so that you turn and trust in Jesus. And see, that's the love we're to imitate. Christ, though He was God, the Son of God, came and took a true human nature as the mediator, becomes the Messiah Christ to save us. He sacrificed His self for His people, giving up His Privileges, coming in the form of a servant, in the likeness of simple flesh. You, you're Looking at him, you wouldn't have seen anybody looking any different than anybody else. But he was the son of God who came to live, to die, and be raised for his people. He sacrificed himself to save us. More on that next week. But our responsibility is, is um, for us to sacrifice ourselves out of love for him. Self-sacrificial love. So keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is the gospel. Number two, growing freedom is a good thing. If God's word gives you permission and doesn't forbid it, enjoy your freedom. Thank God for it. See it as his goodness. So don't don't think I'm saying freedom is a bad thing. It's not. It's a good thing. Paul didn't hide his freedom, did he? In teaching the church. He didn't hide this. In that he said. I'm convinced that all things are clean. But I would never take that conviction. Into the home of someone I knew didn't hold it. And do my thing. So freedom is a good thing. But just like a gun. It carries with it a lot of responsibility. To be used rightly. And listen. If y'all are freaked out. about me mentioning the word gun. This culture has got to you. You need to. Guns don't kill people; people do. The Rock didn't, you know. The Rock didn't kill; Abel Cain did. But they're they're a good thing, but they need to be used responsibly. And some people don't, and they they should answer for that. Growing freedom is a good thing, but it's a it's a dangerous thing. It can be. You need to be careful how you exercise it. Number three, always be willing to sacrifice freedoms for the unity of the church and the spiritual health of your brethren. Verse 13, decide to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Now, keeping the gospel the main thing. Growing in understanding of the word. That brings along with it, yes, some freedoms. Being willing to sacrifice our freedom for the sake of the the unity of the church and the growth of our brothers and sisters is going to require something of you. You're really going to have to take community seriously. You're going to have to get to know your brothers and sisters. How, How do you know what might offend them? If you don't know, do. And with a, with a thing like, let's just use wine as an example. With a thing like wine, if you're inviting people over to your house out of the church that you don't know, put it away. Just put it away. Right? But you, this, this requires us to get to know one another. How do I do that? Well, by spending time together, by studying together, by growing in grace together, and by lovingly probing sometimes. Lo- Notice I said lovingly. Lovingly, gently kind of probing. And they may ask you, what's your opinion on da-da-da-da-da? And, and Paul's not afraid to lay out his opinion, but he wants to use it, use it lovingly and rightly. But lovingly probe on freedoms and disputed matters. Listen. Ask gentle questions. Never give the indication that the person is stupid or less than if they don't agree with you. And then if necessary, avoid the freedoms that might offend them when you're in their presence. Because you're sacrificing yourself for a higher purpose which is us running this race together and helping one another run, not stumbling one another, helping one another run towards Christ, pursuing godliness and Christ-likeness. So back to verse 13, stop judging one another. And listen, if you're new to Grace Church, it's not like we're having a horrendous problem with this. We're not. We're studying through Romans verse by verse, and this is the part we're on. Praise God, for the most part, we enjoy great peace. But there's always room for growth. But verse 13, stop judging one another. Look to Christ and walk arm in arm with him and for him. Let's all seek to run our spiritual race the way Ivan Fernandez and I ran his physical race. Self-sacrifice for what is right. Not just in mom's eyes, although that's important, but especially In Jesus' eyes, pursue what promotes peace and edification in the church. This way, the church stays unified and on mission for Christ. And we all run this race together for the glory of Christ. To live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us to pour over this text, to review this text, to read it in context, to pray into this text, and then um, just to treat one another the way you treat us. The way you are so gracious with us and forgiving of us and uh, have sacrificed, Lord Jesus, yourself for us. Help us to be willing to sacrifice ourselves for you and for one another. Help us to stand strong in indisputable matters together. But help us not also not to over-elevate disputable matters. And to be willing to sacrifice our freedoms when necessary for the greater good. Help us to not be So critical of one another. That we too quickly quickly write one another off because of these these disputable matters. But that we prioritize walking together in the indisputable matters of the gospel. And pursuing a growing Christ-likeness together. Sacrificing to help one another. Walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, for those who don't know you, who are listening, I pray that you would bring a great conviction of sin on them. That they would see their need of a Savior. That they stand before you justly condemned. And then that they would also not just see that, but that they would see the mercy of God available in Christ Jesus. And would turn with grief and hatred from sin to trust and rest and following after the Lord Jesus Christ. So convert the lost, Lord. Humble the proud. Clarify the confused, Lord. Strengthen the weak. Grow the the saint in grace. You work in our hearts as you know we need them worked in. We give you all the praise and just end by praying that you would help us to walk in love. It's in Jesus' name.